0: as I look around at our world, I feel like we have become a people who can only be either for something or against something. And if you are against something that I am in favor of, then you become my enemy. Do you see it or is it just me? Do you see the division or is it just me? I mean, think about it. You're either a Democrat or you're a Republican. You're liberal or you're conservative. You are in favor of guns or you are against guns. You are pro-choice or pro-life. You either believe climate change is real or you believe it's a hoax. You believe the pandemic will be over soon or that we're just getting started. You uh, maybe believe that LSU will win another championship or that they're just going to be a shadow of who they were last year. It's almost as if we've become enemies with one another. You're either for me or you are against me. We have created a culture of demonizing each other. We believe that you're either for me or you are against me and we are losing our ability to work with one another despite our differences. Because if we get any hints that you might think differently than I do or see things differently than I do, then you're my enemy. we begin to think that we can't work together, that we can't live together, that we can't do life together. Now, look, I want you to be honest. I want you to dig deep down in your heart and your soul. Would you say the same is true about you? Because I'll be honest, I can say that the, that, that is true about me that I have found myself at times thinking, well, that person thinks differently than me and that person uh, uh, has different views than me. We might not be able to be in ministry or in life together. I think if we're honest, I think we all struggle with this at times. I think if we're honest, we all find traces of it in our mind. Let me be clear about something. Calling ourselves Christians does not demand uniformity from us when it comes to political views. Calling ourselves Christians does not demand that we all think and act alike in all aspects of our lives in order to be considered real Christians. But it does require us to place the mission of Jesus above everything else. We don't have to think alike, we don't have to act alike, we don't have to have the same political views, but we do have to place Jesus' mission over everything else. And like I said last week, the mission of Jesus is to bring about heaven here and now for all people, including and probably especially for the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. Yes, you heard me right. We can disagree about politics. Yes, we can stand on separate sides of the aisle, but at the end of the day, it is our mission to together bring about heaven here and now in the fiercest way possible. It is our mission as Christians to make this world a better place uh, for the least of these, to, to raise up the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to care for the least, to direct those who are lost towards Jesus, to prioritize the last and comfort the lonely. We are meant to be a visible demonstration of heaven here on earth, here and now. We can disagree. But at the end of the day, as Christians, we have to together bring about heaven here and now. Now, trust me, as divided as we are today, This idea of being united in mission, I know, sounds absolutely impossible. But I promise you that it is absolutely possible. How do I know? Because we see this happen in Scripture as Jesus calls his disciples to begin ministry. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16 say this. Now, during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, Jesus called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, look, I I know we have to be careful because when we look at these 12 disciples in chapter 6, it is so easy for us to to read it and assume that all of these disciples uh, were on the same page about everything, that somehow they all stood for the same thing. If we're not careful, we can fall under the trap of assuming that they all agreed. But here's the reality they didn't. The disciples did not agree with one another at all. See, for starters, let's look at all the disciples. For starters, we don't know much about some of the disciples. So uh, Thomas and James, they're in all the gospels. They're identified throughout scripture, and the gospels all place them in the list of disciples, but we know very little about them. We also have Bartholomew, who was a biblical scholar. Uh, He knew the Bible and studied scripture. But scholars also believe that he may have been of noble birth, that uh, his dad may have been somebody important. Um, And then we have five, at least five disciples, Simon, Peter, the other James, Andrew, John, and Philip, who were all fishermen, who depended on access to equipment like uh, fishing nets and boats and good trade environments in order to make a profit. Essentially, they needed Rome to be in good standing with the world so that they could trade and, uh, and they could support themselves financially. They were essentially blue-collar workers who depended on the economy working well. They didn't hate Rome. They didn't love Rome. They were indifferent in many ways. They were simply focused on making the best of their lives as possible. And then we have three disciples, Judas, uh, also known as Jude, Judas Iscariot, and Simon the Zealot who all of them considered themselves Jewish nationalists. Their ultimate goal was that Rome would be defeated and, and, and Israel, and particularly Jews, would have power again, that they would have ultimate power in that region and possibly the world. And, and we see this through many of their interactions with Jesus, the way they questioned Jesus, if, as if the movement would somehow uh, start a war and and defeat Rome and and Israel would be in control of the land again. Simon, in particular, from these three, is called Simon the Zealot. He hated anything dealing with Rome. See, Zealots were more than willing to take up arms against Rome in any way, shape, or form. Rome was the ultimate enemy. Zealots would stop at anything, to take down Rome or anybody that helped Rome. Which makes very interesting the fact that the other disciple we haven't talked about is Matthew, who was a tax collector. It was his job to collect taxes from Jews and then give them off to Rome so that Rome could fund the empire and anything that the empire wanted to do. Matthew helped Rome by exploiting fellow Jews for the sake of making a good living wage and helping Rome. Now now picture this, everything we just talked about, the disciples. Can you imagine these disciples, these 12 people, getting together for the first time? These three disciples who considered themselves Jewish nationalists, right? Wondering why Jesus would ever have chosen a tax collector to sit at that table with them. Surely, Jesus, you know that Matthew is one of them, right? You're here for us. We're the ones on the right side of history. Why did you invite him? Can you imagine that tension, that struggle? And then you have the fishermen, who are more concerned about meeting their monthly quota, making ends meet than this political fight that these other disciples are a part of. And then you have the other guys at the end of the table who have absolutely no idea why everybody's fighting. Just imagine what a mess their first gathering should have been. Twelve people who disliked each other, who distrusted each other, who in many ways hated one another, sitting around the table with Jesus at the center. Can you imagine the tension and the turmoil that should have been there? Honestly, I think we can. I mean, just turn on your TV, get on social media, and you'll see what what, uh, people are saying about the other in every way, shape, or form. We can easily get a glimpse of what that gathering should have looked like. But guess what? Jesus brings them together, and they actually get along. The tax collector and the zealots actually get along. The the blue-collar workers who were just trying to uh, make ends meet, they all get along. This this Bartholomew, who's of noble birth, gets along with these people. I mean, these 12 people who were supposed to never work together get along. And they do ministry together because here's the thing. What binds them together is not their political affiliation. It's not Roman versus Jew. It's not rich versus poor. It's none of those things. What bound them together was Jesus. Jesus calls these 12 to be a countercultural community that together in unity, not uniformity. I want you to hear hear me say that. They they are a countercultural movement that in unity, not uniformity, gives the world a glimpse of heaven. Because they're able to come together, the world catches a glimpse of heaven. You see, when we put our focus on Jesus and we're willing to put aside our political views, we too can be countercultural. We can be a countercultural community that goes against everything society tells us we should be. All that bickering and all that fighting and all of that stress of what side do you stand on that, we can go against all of that if we're willing to place Jesus and Jesus's mission above everything else. See, I want you to hear this. If Jesus was going to start a movement that would absolutely change the world forever, then in our minds, it makes no sense to gather 12 people who would disagree with one another. That's not how things seem to work today. But but here's the thing. As impossible as that sound as that sounds, the impossible is made possible through Jesus. Because of Jesus, that group of 12 people who really did not shouldn't have gotten along, that group of enemies, that group of rivals, they became countercultural and united in mission. See, I think the question for you and I is can we put our views aside? Can we put our beliefs aside and instead trust Jesus' mission over everything else? Can we trust that whatever our political views may be, Jesus can unite us and accomplish something much bigger and greater through us than we can even begin to imagine or fathom? Can we choose to believe right here and right now that Jesus' way is better than what my political party or your political party can ever dream up. See, here's the reality. If the disciples were asked to leave their affiliations behind, then we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that we too are being asked to leave our affiliations behind. The question is this. Are you willing to trust Jesus' mission over your own agenda? The disciples did. I pray that we may too. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, you know the things in our hearts. God, you know the things that we have chosen to stand for or stand against. You know the way that we have made other people our enemies simply because they don't think or agree with us. But God, I pray that today you may remind us that we are being called to be countercultural, that just like you could unite those 12 disciples who all would have disagreed with one another, who would have never spent life together, who would have never fought for the same thing together, at least not in the same ways, that just like you can bring them together, that you can bring us together, So God, I pray that we may put at the top of our list your mission to bring about heaven here and now. May that be our number one priority in everything we do. May that be the biggest thing we long for. Because God, we trust that in doing that, you can unite anybody, including us today. God, I pray this in your most precious and most glorious name. Amen.